0: Since I arrived, everyone's taking really good care of me. I think Greg misled you. I'm really not that important, but it's a blessing to be with you. It's really been special. Uh, they are dear friends. We kind of went through some challenges in life together. Life can have hard times, but you build strong bonds and relationships when you face them. So it's a delight to be out here and to see how how they're doing so well. I mean... Pastor Greg said to me as we were coming over the mountain pass yesterday, yes, I'm, I'm uh, under the obligation to be out here in this, in this forsaken land. And he's like, I love it out here. <laughs> and so, you know, in God's will, it doesn't have to be painful, right? In fact, sometimes you just find your greatest joy in the midst of what you never expected. I've never been to Utah before except I remember driving through at night and I thought it was all salt flats and desert. So imagine my surprise to come and see all this beautiful landscape and mountainside and the rest. You guys are pretty fortunate out here. Beautiful place. But I was caught off guard. That's not my conception of Utah at all. Well, I have been tasked with... Something that's a little outside of my comfort zone. Frankly, when I stand up to teach or preach, I always have a text. But Pastor Greg wants me to tell you about my life and the things God's doing. And so I'm delighted to do that. And, uh, but I wanted to structure Sunday School about more about the things I've learned and how to minister to a people group that I'm very different from. And really, I think, for any of us, that's our calling in life. Sometimes we're different from the people that God places us amongst. And learning some of the skills that God would encourage us to have, I'd kind of like to share with you what I learned. And so maybe this will be fun for you. I think it is. Uh, A new culture, I get to be there, just like Pastor Greg gets to be here. And it's amazing. But some things I've learned. Uh, Here's our Sunday school hour. The first thing I have learned as a necessity of ministry is this. We will always need to adjust ourselves to the people and culture of those whom we desire to reach. And frankly, that can be uncomfortable. Because we have to think about things all the time in how we perceive life as opposed to some other people around us that we want to reach perceive life. And I know you all have a special uh, need in your particular communities. Everyone has that. There's someone that they're living amongst that they need to understand so they can reach them. And, you know, Paul tells us that in his whole attitude towards life what prefaces this passage is he says I have rights for certain things. I have a right to lead about a wife like Peter does. I have a right to a salary etc. I have a right but though I am free from all men I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who were under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak of conscience, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some in our desire to reach and influence others, a sensitivity to who they are, and making sure that I don't cause any unnecessary offense. Because sometimes the gospel is an offense, and I need not be. I'm not going to put an extra uh, obstacle in the way of people. Lord willing, I will not do that. And that's, I think, the best way to reach people. So here's some of the things I learned. Uh, I need to understand the value of the persons that I desire to influence. And it really is in this phrase there, those for whom Christ died, right? And so what does that make the value of that person? It makes it infinite. And that means that they're important because Christ values them as those for whom he died. And even in his discussion on what we call Christian liberties, you know, Paul will say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hurt or injure someone for the sake of my rights, if it indeed would truly injure them. So here's our group. The first time I went over in 2020, the lady on your far left is my dear wife, Terry. I married over my head, guys. We all do, right? And she's a sweetheart, and she loves me. And I love to have her with me because people, when they look at her, they go, wow, you know, either this Ron's got a lot of money or he's a nice guy. (laughs) Anyway, she's just a sweetheart and such an asset to my ministry. Keeps me in perspective. You know, when I was learning Hebrew and biblical languages, you know, you you tend to get a little elevated. It's like, yeah, hon, understand you can parse these verbs, but would you change the baby's diaper? That always brought me back down to earth. So anyway, next to her is Dr. Park. She is one of the consultants with Bibles International. It was our first trip over, so she was there too as an experienced lady. The lady next to her in the floral dress is Anna. She is a nurse. She is our back translator. She takes the translation that the men... Uh, produce, and she puts it into a grid so that I can understand all the parts of speech really well, and I can begin to deal with a language I haven't completely learned yet in a way that's productive. So that's Anna. Next to her is Sylvester Carbo. He's from a royal family, and you're born into that, and you have just kind of this... Elevated esteem in the culture because of that, and it's just something that happens by birth, kind of like dynasties in Egypt or in Israel. And so that's Sylvester. And next to him, behind his shoulder, is Stephen. Stephen is the most pastoral. He's the natural leader of the group. In spite of the fact that Sylvester should be in the culture, Stephen is head and shoulders in the sense of leadership and the rest. Next to him is the older man with the striped shirt and the hat. He is Chief Christopher. He's the chief of a nearby village. And he is a man who is highly respected. And to not do that would be a mistake because, in his culture, that's exactly how he's treated. You know, he's a chief. And then behind his shoulder is actually a guy I put in in Photoshop because he was so sick. We thought he was going to die of COVID. But the man in the um, white and blue striped shirt, that's Mr. Joseph. He was with the Board of Education in Ghana. So he's a highly educated man. And down in front of me is a shorter man who is miles higher than I am in the Ghanaian culture in that he's a brilliant young man. He can speak multiple languages. He has tons of personality. He can step into a very professional role. He's sort of the kind of guy who can take over the world if he wanted because of his gifts. And when I look at this people group, my initial thought when I first got there was, you know, I'm going to help these guys. I'm taking all my information and I'm going to go over there and they're going to be lucky. And I didn't think that out loud, but I think that's how I felt, right? These, these people are amazingly gifted people. And they're people for whom Christ died. Luke speaks Nagati as his mother tongue. He speaks English because Ghana's a British colony. He's very well educated. He teaches at the University of Ghana down in Accra. He is the official French translator for the University of uh, Ghana in Accra. He can speak Spanish. He speaks Chui, which is the trade language, and Ga, the language of Accra. So here's a guy with a ton of gifts. You know, I I always think of Luke as kind of like the guy in a prison movie who can get you anything you need. Luke has All of his connections are all over Ghana. Anything I need when I go, he has access to. And he's just a very, very helpful facilitator, but a very valuable man. And so for me to learn who these people are, all of a sudden I have a huge appreciation for the fact that I'm lucky. I get to work with some of the most gifted people in Ghana on a Bible translation so they can have God's word in their heart language, their mother tongue. And you realize you all have a heart language. In America, we're largely monolingual, right? And probably our heart language is English, but it's even a dialect of English, dialectical part of English. We have a heart language, the language in which we dream, the language in which you communicate with your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. A heart language is that close communication that reaches your heart. And when God's word appears in a heart language, it's different than when you read it in a language that's not your personal language. So anyway, first thing, understand the importance of the people for whom Christ died. That's their value. And sometimes you're surprised by the fact that they're so gifted in the middle of this very impoverished nation. You have some of the most gifted people, and I was caught off guard by that. I think maybe as Americans, we sometimes think that we can fix the world. And I needed to learn to appreciate them for their value. We need to understand their value. Um, The little lady here who was curious about me, who came out the courtyard of all the different family members, they kind of build houses like in the Bible. And so, you know, A dad has all of his sons, when they get married, they attach a house, right, to the same courtyard. And this is probably a granddaughter of a man who started this home. And this little lady saw her first European. (laughs) See her eyes? (laughs) She's just beautiful. And, you know, in this part of Ghana, all the way up north, it's rare to see someone from, someone with white skin. And the kids are curious. They come up and they touch me because they've been told it rubs off. And, and they're, they're just sweethearts. They, they have a huge respect for people who come in from other countries, but her eyes were <laughs> so big, I got a kick out of her. And these little guys came to visit me in the morning. They showed up when I was having breakfast, getting ready for the team to come in so that we could begin our translation day, and, and they're precious. Now the little guy who's saluting, right behind him is a little boy who has gotten into trouble in life, and so he's branded. And they said something, they had this name for him like a cracked head or something that meant he was bad. And I said, no, i was trying to help him understand he's redeemable and uh... anyway (laughs) these these kids here's that boy he was quite acrobatic (laughs) in fact i took a little video of him because he was showing me what he could do you can see he's kind of very impoverished he doesn't have much and his parents let him run around during the day cuz they're working real hard trying to eke out a living and they'll work very very hard all day long for about a buck us and this guy he just ne- he loved the attention of somebody who would just realize he was important And uh, I was at the bus station in Wa, and these little guys are probably all Muslim, but they all came up to talk to me. And their parents tried to kind of keep them out of the way, but there's just important people over there, you know, and if they can get God's word in their heart language, it'll make a difference on their conversions because that's how it works. Sometimes people will be aware of an English presentation of the gospel. But when they hear it in their heart language, it reaches their heart and they respond to the gospel. And that's what we at Bibles International do. We try to reach them at the level of their heart language. The second thing we need to do is understand the worldview of the persons we desire to influence. Secular, religious, there's a spiritualism in this country that means if you're born in the right family you have something about you that makes you unique and powerful and it's a spiritism that's part of the pagan culture and this guy was like the epitome of it he's the na. he's the paramount chief of the area you walk in there you realize you're not just visiting the guy down at the corner who's the mayor This guy probably could uh, have you disappear out back somewhere and never be found. I'm not sure, but they have a lot of respect for him, in fact, a fear of him. And so he's kind of an interesting fella. and uh, a little imposing. But in his throne room, you never let your head be higher than his. That's part of. Uh, floor order, that's part of something that you need to know before you go in because the world view and stuff is such that it would be disrespectful to you and you might hamper your ministry. So being aware of that, being all things to all men that by all means you might save some is very important, being aware of the culture. I got a kick out of him. He would say funny things. The other guys were scared of him because of this imposing figure, but I'm kind of chuckling. And he liked that. (laughs) We need to understand these worldviews because if you look, there are two guys that are allowed to have their head above his. And that's because the man on the left who's standing is the city regent. He also is royalty. And the man on his right on the right side of the screen, is his special servant. Almost like you would think of um, Nehemiah standing in the court of the king. But none of us would dare, because of what's expected, let our heads be higher than his. It would be disrespectful. I caught on to that right away. I was actually invited to come up, but I had seen other of the rulers in Ghana, and they all did this, so I did it too. Paying attention was important for me. I caught that without anybody ever telling me, and uh, the Na was very helpful. He's a very wise man. He knows a lot. He knew how hard it was for us to do what we were doing with Dagari. And uh, he's kind of like you would think of Christianity in America as, okay, it's a Christian sort of country. But I I don't know that he's a believer. Um, Whoops, I'm... I kind of need to turn up the sound here. I'm sorry. There's... There's some noise I want you to hear, so. This four times a day, the announcement from the mosques in the neighborhood, and it starts at like 5 a.m. And so you sort of get used to this paganism in the background. This is Islam. They coexist. There's not hostility between the two people groups, but they don't really connect. Now, if you go across the river, which is just about a mile away, Burkina Faso, if you're a believer and you practice proselytizing or if you meet for church, they, the soldiers will come in and kill you. It happened to a group of believers right before my wife and I got to town. This is a funeral, and this is really unique. Those xylophone drums play for three days nonstop, they're tonal and they tell a story. Theoretically, the ladies are interpreting the life of this individual based on the tones of those xylophone drums if you can see they're kind of dancing up to what will be the body which is over in this kind of tented area and it's up to you when you go by its tradition to toss some coins to help the family bury the body but because of this collective culture if you're any member of that family extended even clan you have a right to make some contribution to that funeral and what well, so what you can see is the cut-off head of a goat because there's some pagan sacrifice going on. But the communal focus is so important to maintain that everyone feels like they have a part in it. So understanding that, I was actually asked, uh, I preached a morning message. We prayed for a lady who was sick. After lunch, I got a call. She had died and unfortunately she died of food poisoning because there's no refrigeration and whatever she got was lethal and fatal and so they asked me to come out and do the funeral and these young men are all gathered around with pickaxes and they take all afternoon to dig down through this red hard soil that they can cut out and make bricks for houses and then when they get to the bottom they dig a crypt over and they have it ready for the funeral. And then after I preached the funeral, all the Islamics came up and paid tribute, but they're there because they're part of the community. So I had the chance to share the gospel with all these people and the hope that she had as a believer. And then they take her body and in a casket, but they take her out of the casket because they use the same one over and over and over again. They lower it down and they put her in there and then a man climbs down and he inspects the body to make sure it's laid properly. And he goes back and reports to the women who are in the village and they're just this lamenting is is so sorrowful. And then we have this uh, closure of a service where kind of a graveside a committal service and they put rocks in to line the body in, and then they fill that hole back up with dirt. And that's their burial process. And then for three days, they might have a funeral. It just depends on the person and if there is family to put it together. But because of her illness, they were afraid she was carrying something contagious, so she was buried right away. You need to understand the philosophies and differences of a people group. There's something unique about Ghana. They're all meeting together and they're considering something that's happening in that translation and they're putting their ideas out. Well, then you have, now we're engaged in the, okay, the back and forth about what's right or wrong, what's best, and then we're engaged in what is consensus and consensus is most important amongst the Ghanaians in fact the corporate consensus is way more important than any individuals opinion and while all opinions will be shared it is most important that everyone be together that is the function of... So- That's how society's so different. You know, we're in America. We're rugged individualists. You know, we'll stand alone against the world, right? Not in Ghana. If you offend one, all are offended. If you praise one, all are praised. But no one stands alone and tries to be... I mean, imagine a church vote 100% every time. <laughs> I come from a church where that was not popular. In fact, I don't think it ever happened. But they, and if you watch all this, you'll see this guy Luke. He actually summarizes it. And when he's done, everybody's, yep, that's it, we're on board. And so once that happens, I know we have consensus on what's best. But it's a unique part of their culture that if you're not aware of, you can make some big mistakes. Like they will never tell you if they're offended because the group is way more important, but they might be offended. And so you almost have to understand and you need to correct those things in a way that you have a healthy relationship. (laughs) Cultural items. You ever heard of fufu? It's a yam that's white, stringy, tough. And they will beat that until it's so tender it feels like uncooked bread dough, but it's really cooked. And they use it to dip in a soup, having made a thumbprint in it, and, and eat it. And it's really pretty good. <laughs> They're really very friendly people. This is in the courtyard of Hamadou, who's a paralyzed translator. Who is working with me on the Wali revision now that's just 50 miles away but the city of Wa is so big and influential they have their own language and it's a large deposit of language but once you get away from there Dagari embraces this huge upper part of Ghana and so they're so distinct they're separate languages but because I'm only 50 miles away it's just a natural I got assigned But I love it. These guys are great. It's so special. And understanding their customs. We're on our way to the market. Going to the market, buying our things, coming back would be a 25 minute trip. But the reality is you have to stop and talk with everyone. It's considered rude if you don't. In fact, I found out Mr. Luke has a good 80 or 90 aunties because of how the culture works. You know, you have, you have blood aunties and you have extended family aunties and you have clan aunties. And it didn't take me long to figure out this guy's got way too many aunties. But if we didn't stop and greet all of them, there was no way that we would be perceived as friendly and hospitable. We would be perceived as rude. So, sorry, I got way too much audio here, but the thing is you realize a trip to the market is gonna take you two to three hours. In America, you jump in your car, you drive to the store, you get your stuff, you come home 20 minutes. Not in the Ghanaian culture. You're going to have to visit with everyone because nothing happens on the clock. It's all event driven. And if you want to hurry them up, you're making a terrible mistake. It's just like you couldn't be more rude. So you have to realize your clock gets put away when you go to Ghana. It's event driven. Some of you have been to Latin American countries and you have a lot of that. Ghana's way better. Everything happens when people are there. So you have a wedding and it's supposed to start at one. It's probably going to be three, but it won't start till everybody's there. And that's because that's how it is. And if you try and force that to be different, like the Korean lady who went over the first time with us who said to the chief, you're late, you'll be here on time tomorrow. Nobody said anything, but you could cut the atmosphere with a knife, and all those people were offended and I had to go to her in private and say, "You need to fix this you're not and she was oblivious uh, there 's something about translators that sometimes is uh we, we die on little anthills and mountains over truth, and sometimes we're not sensitive to bigger, bigger truths being more important than lesser truths. And so she didn't do anything other than that she was trained to do. But what she didn't do was read the culture and understand being all things to all men that you might by all means save some. Now, see this meal? Really good. That's foo-foo. The stuff they were beating, the big wads of dough there, it looks like. That's yam. And you take it and you dip it in the sauce. And uh, so this was given to me because I was a guest of honor. You see the eyes in the, in the fish? Sorry there, Sorry. <laughs> see the eyes in the fish head there? I was the guest of honor. I was supposed to get that. And so, you know, you're sometimes put in a place where you're like, if they go out of the room, I'm throwing this thing to the dog. (laughs) But they eat everything. This is the guinea hen, the guinea fowl. I bought them as a celebratory bird. (laughs) What's a blast is, I'm adventuresome. I grabbed one of those heads to pop in my mouth, and the translator grabbed my arm and said, no, do not do that. You would not like it. (laughs) I took him at his word. (laughs) But they give those to the kids. The guinea hen is um, at least a full day's wage. I bought two of them for 100 CDs, which would be like a week's salary for the average person. And we celebrated the chief's birthday. He had never done it before. He didn't even know when he was born. He had no record of it. And so we we gave him a birthday and honored him on his birthday because I wanted to buy a celebratory bird because it was Thanksgiving the next day. And I was going to be in Ghana, so I wanted a turkey. Speaking of which, there was 12 of them on the road down there when I was on my way here. Anyway, I'm I'm running out of uh, time but this is us eating. And you better just join in if you really want to reach the people. So dive in, guys. Grab your hands. Right hand only, left hand would be terribly offensive. And so and frankly, if you're a little intimidated, get over it. Just enjoy life. And Build these relationships with the people so that you can actually make a difference for eternity for them, for Christ's sake, for the gospel's sake. And we all do this if we want to reach people. We figure out what their worldview is, what their customs are, how they differ from us, so we can reach them with the gospel message. So, whether it's about the height of your head with the chief or whatever it is, adjusting ourselves to the people's culture, understanding the value of the persons we desire to influence, those for whom Christ died, understanding the worldview of the persons we desire to influence. What that is makes a difference how we reach them. Understanding their philosophies, their individ- our individualism versus their collectivism makes for such a different interaction with this culture. And understand the customs and realize, just get on board. And if you need to throw the fish to the dog, do it. But try and enjoy the experience. It's frankly been a blast. I get to go to Ghana. And God's allowed me to do this, and I'm excited. I'm over time. I apologize. Pastor Greg. Yes? Okay. I'm going home for a week, and then I fly to Ghana. I'll be there for a month. I'm meeting, first of all, with the team in the city of Wa, where we will work on the Wally revision. I'll show you a little bit more about that in the worship hour, kind of just highlighting what we do. And it's just a fun journey in pictures. And really, the discovery of God's leading in my life, through all of life. Sometimes our journey is so important to see in the hands of God you find yourself in a place you get to be even if you were afraid of being there. And being in the will of God is the most satisfying thing ever. So I will be in there. I'll be with the Wally Translation revision where I'm working with them for a week with Hamadou, the paralyzed translator. And then I'll be going to Laura for two weeks where I'm meeting with the pastors on the weekend to train them because their education is sorely limited and i can tell you a little few trinkets about that when i get into the next hour but and then i work on the actual the actual translation of the old testament with them to make sure that their translation is complying with the accuracy of the underlying hebrew text so we take their gifts and my gifts and then the gifts of stylists and then the average read review committee from the average participant in a congregation to make sure we're giving them something that will work and have a lifespan that they buy into and have ownership in so that when we leave it's theirs so it's really neat and uh, (laughs) Okay. okay sounds good father i'm thankful to be with friends today and Everyone's been so gracious to me and it's just a joy to be here. Thankful to be able to hopefully be an encouragement to others and thankful, Lord, for the calling that places me in connection with wonderful believers and those who need to know your Son. I pray for your blessing on our service to follow now. In Jesus' name we pray.